0: Good morning, it's so good to see you here on the first Sunday of this Christmas season in December, and uh, if you're visiting with us today, it's an honor to have you with us, and we say this every week, but we would love to know who you are, know how we could serve you better, and we'd encourage you to fill out your guest card in your bulletin. You can tear that out and place it in the baskets at the back or stop by our guest table that's located in the lobby, Uh, but we'd love to know who you are and and truly know how we could serve you better, but as we begin our service today, I want to read this thought. This is from uh, Paul Tripp. A pastor, writer, he says this concerning the biblical true Christmas story. He says, this story is about the light coming into a world that had been sadly cast into darkness. Under the burden of the shroud of rebellion and sin, the world had become a dark place. In the darkness of immorality, injustice, violence, greed, self-righteousness, thievery, racism, and a host of other ills, the world was desperate for light. Everyone was part of the problem and everyone suffered from the problem, but no one could solve the problem. God's solution was the only way. He sent the one who is the light to be the light that would light the world by his grace. He came into the darkness so that we could know light and life forever. Here is the Christmas story. Only light can defeat the darkness and the light has come. If you're like me, you love Christmas. But the danger is that Christmas and the true meaning can become too familiar to us. And I hope and I pray that through this Christmas season that you're reminded in this weary world that our hope is in Jesus Christ and he is the true meaning of this season and he is the reason we gather and celebrate today. So I hope that you will keep that in mind as we worship today. Please stand and let's join our hearts together as we worship.
1: Of several people in the church that have requested prayer and most of these about all of these are dealing with physical issues. Uh, Larry Davis, if you would remember him in prayer, um, he's at Fry Hospital, just recovering from surgery. Linda Davis, that's Stony Davis's mother. She's at Caring, uh, she's at Carolina Caring, which is a hospice house. and if you will remember Stony and his family in prayer. Uh, Lewis Mays who has been at Fry Hospital and I'm pretty sure he's out now. Uh, remember him as he recovers. Rom Treadway, that's Abby Tread or Abby Deal's uh, dad. He's at Baptist now, getting ready to have uh, heart surgery. Some of you may know Hansel Burke. He's a he's a paramedic. He's a member at First Baptist. But if you would remember him in prayer, Rick Harrington is now at Iredale Hospital, and he desperately needs your prayers. He's got a a bad infection on his foot that's very serious. Our team in New York, which will be flying home tomorrow, there at Brooklyn Tabernacle. Uh, this morning, having church service, so if you will remember them in prayer and thank you for supporting their uh, mission trip to New York City to pass out coats, and then finally, we've been praying for a long time for Anita Dunn. Anita Dunn passed away um, yesterday at the hospice house off of uh, Robinson Road. So, if you will remember her family in prayer, if you would, and we'll excuse me, we'll be sending out a phone tree uh, this week to let you know funeral arrangements for Anita. So if you will, meet me here at the altar and let's lift these families up and you can lift your families up as well. As the choir leads to this song, let's pray together this morning. with us now, if you will, just lift up one of those names that I mentioned that needs God's touch physically, if you will pray for them in the quietness of this moment, pray that God would touch them physically and help them emotionally and spiritually. I'd love for you to lift up Anita's family in prayer, she was a very faithful member of this church and she fought her illness with Christ-like character. Lift yourself up to the Lord this morning. Ask God to help you. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, that you're here in our midst. Father, we want to thank you that you hear us when we pray. Lord, you're the answer for all that we're facing. Father, you're the great physician. Lord, you can heal us emotionally, uh, physically. Lord, many of us need your touch spiritually, Father, this morning. And I just pray that we just leave these things here at the altar. Father, and I pray for these families that are involved that I mentioned this morning. So many families that are hurting during this time and I pray that you would bring you'd bring healing father in ways that only you can Thank you for the hope that we have because Jesus rose from the dead. Father as we celebrate his birth we also every day celebrate his resurrection. Father your word says the righteous have hope in their death and we're so thankful for that. Father thank you that our faith is real Lord I want to thank you for this church that will not only pray for members but reach out and show, Uh, Love and compassion to those members as well. And Father, we thank you for the help that you're going to give. All these names that we mentioned in ourselves. Father, in Jesus' name I pray.
2: journeyed far a weary pair they sought for shelter from the cold night air some place where she could lay her head where she could give her babe a quiet bed was there no room Was there no soul come to their aid? A stable bear was where the family stayed. Do you? Salt the light. Do you have room? Child divine is now a king, the gift of life to all the world, he brings, and all mankind, he saves from doom. you.
1: If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1 and stand with me if you will. We're going to be looking at uh, 25 verses this morning in rapid succession. The next uh, several weeks we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1 and the very first part of Luke chapter 2. And our thought during these next three weeks is getting ready for Jesus. Now notice the first four verses of Luke's Gospel. He's writing the Gospel of Luke actually to a person. And we're the beneficiaries of that. Notice what he says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. And what Luke is saying is this, that during Theopolis' time on earth, many people had been writing documents about the life of Jesus. Now, they're not Bible, but they are good historical documents. Now, we probably don't have many of those. We have Mark's Gospels and a couple other things. But that's what he's saying. He says, "Just as." Those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first. Those are very bold words for, for Luke to say. He says, to write to you an orderly account. Notice that. Luke says, I'm going to start and I'm going to use this, put this in a chronological order. And Luke is the one who gives us the most detail about John the Baptist. Orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things which you were instructed. Look at the word certainty. What Luke is saying is this is infallible. Um, it's well researched. It's detailed. It is you, you. You can you can rest assured, Theophilus. And when he writes Acts, he does the same thing. He's saying this Bible is a historical account of Jesus' life. That's what he's saying. And then he goes into John the Baptist. He says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. And basically what Luke's trying to get us to see is that even though she was barren, and this was a reproach in her life, that she still served the Lord. So it was, while he was still serve, while he was serving as priest before God, in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, "Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will receive and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink; he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb." And he will turn, this is why he's great, not just because of his character, but he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to him, said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. Don't doubt God's word. Amen. But he does. And the angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel. It's like angel, the angel saying it's, Listen, kid. He says, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you'll be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And what the angel's telling John is this. Even though you're a good man and you're a righteous man, when you disbelieve God's word, there are consequences, so you're not going to speak. And all the wives said, amen. said, you're not going to speak, buddy. You're not going to speak, even though God's still going to use you. And these words will come to pass. And the people waited for Zechariah because he was going to go out on the temple and give the, the blessing of Aaron. Okay, But he couldn't speak. Now, I'll tell you this. When you have doubt in your life and you're serving God, it can be really embarrassing. So you got this priest going out to do this blessing. What's he going to use, sign language? He's doubting God's word, and he's serving God. And, and it says, And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. And he had a surprise for his wife. It says, Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that as Christians, we would not doubt your word. Father Luke is telling us that this book is a historical account of the life of Jesus. And this story with John's parents happened just like Jesus' birth, happened. Lord, help us to believe, and Lord, help our unbelief this morning. And Father, I'm also reminded that there may be people here that are broken, and you can use them in their brokenness. There are people here spiritually in their lives or physically or barren, and Lord, you help them as well. And Father, help us to trust you and lay our doubts down at your feet. And Father, help us to point others to Jesus, and then and only then can you be truly Glorified for us in Christ's name, I pray. And all of God's people said together, "Amen." Thank you. you. May be seated. Notice the first point here is the Bible is historically accurate. Luke starts out this gospel as a historian. One scholar put it this way: He wanted to help people know about the life of Jesus so they could place their faith. Listen to this: in a real person and a real event. To accomplish this, he set out to write a historically accurate, carefully researched, and organized gospel. This is historically accurate. In verse 1 he says, "...inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us." And what Luke is saying is, we all know these things happened, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. And what Luke is saying is this, I went and talked to these people. They were eyewitnesses, they ministered in this. And what he's saying is this, this is fact, not fiction. In the 19th century, history tells us that liberal scholars mocked Luke's writings and stated it was filled with factual error and they questioned his historiography. But now that we have more discoveries, history has proven Luke to be right, so much so that one historian concludes this, Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy, he is possessed of the true historic sense. He sees the important and critical events in short, Luke should be placed as one of the greatest of history's greatest historians. And this is important because Luke wants you to build your faith on facts about Jesus. Luke did not write fairy tale. This is not some fanciful tale. Luke is wanting you to understand that this is historical facts. Now Luke is probably a Gentile. We know that he, he was uh, probably a doctor. He traveled with Paul. He's medically trained. But Luke is wanting to tell us that Christ's works were accomplished among us. John MacArthur put, The result of his research is a rich account of Jesus' life. With the doctor's gift for observation, Luke noticed details others overlooked. His is the most complete gospel, which is why it is the longest book in the entire New Testament. Luke wants to give us an orderly account. He wants to let us know that it is chronological, it is organized. That's why he starts with John the Baptist, and then he says you can be certain. That's why Peter says this in 2 Peter 1.6. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. In John's uh, epistles in 1 John, he said, he, he writes and he says this, We saw Jesus, we touched Him, we held Him with our hands. We're giving you an eyewitness account of what happens. And your faith is in fact, not in speculation or fairy tales. And that's what Luke wants you to understand. That's why Luke 1-4 here he's trying to say to Theophilus is what he would say to us is you can believe this, you can stake your life on it, you can actually stake your eternity on it, that this Bible is historically accurate. The second thing, notice this, don't let hard times keep you from serving. Notice what it says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, Luke is trying to keep this in its historical context, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. He was serving the Lord as a priest, both Zechariah and Elizabeth come from the priestly line of Aaron. They're both active in ministry. They're both noted for their godliness, and God regarded them as righteous. But verse 7 says that her womb was barren. She had no child. In the Hebrew culture, that was a sign of God's curse on your life. That was a sign of God's curse on your life. Whether rightly or wrongly, that's how people viewed it. That's why in verse 25, she says, God, you removed the reproach of my life because as she advanced in years, she couldn't have a baby, and it was, and people looked at her like, what did she do wrong? And she, she describes that stigma. And but one scholar put it this way: God was not punishing her, but planning this moment for his glory. Elizabeth was suffering up to this moment in this way to ultimately bring glory to God. Her suffering brought her closer to God, but God had a purpose for her suffering. That's why if you're suffering, the question isn't why am I suffering, but how can I glorify God in my suffering? Elizabeth didn't let her barrenness keep her from living for God and serving Him. She still was serving God. Even though she was barren, and I'm sure they prayed about this almost daily, especially now that he's in the temple, they were still serving God, they didn't blame him. And they should be a great example to us. When you're suffering through life, will you still be serving the Lord? You know, I think about the person we mentioned this morning, Anita Dunn. And we'll have her funeral this week. you realize that she was working in a factory and singing in this choir until she couldn't come anymore? And listen, she had cancer all over. You might not have known that, but I did. And I admired watching her come. If anybody could have had a, a, a pity party about life, it would have been Anita. I never heard her complain one time. I've never in my life heard Anita complain. What a blessing. Elizabeth could have blame God or everybody else but you know what Paul told the church at Corinth he said this talking about your service be steadfast that's a present imperative means every day, be steadfast be immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord God honors a godly life and God honors service to him so don't grow weary in well doing Zacharias and Elizabeth are serving now notice the next verse While Zacharias is serving, while he's serving as a priest before God, he meets an angel. Notice what Zacharias is doing. The Bible says that they cast lots. Somebody said, one one scholar said that in Zacharias' day, the Israeli priests were divided into 24 divisions because there were as many as 20,000 priests in the time of Jesus. So your odds of serving the way Zacharias is serving is about 20,000 to 1. And a scholar by the name of Vincent says this when he talks about being chosen by Lot. He says, Four lots were drawn to determine the order of the ministry of the day. The first lot was before daybreak to designate the priests who were to cleanse the altar and prepare its fires. The second for the priest who was to offer the sacrifice and cleanse the candlestick and the altar of incense. The third for the priest who would burn incense. And the fourth appointing those who were to lay the sacrifice and meat offering on the altar and pour out the drink offering. There are said to have been 20,000 priests in Christ's time so that no priest would ever offer incense more than once in his lifetime. It is worth noting that many priests never enjoyed this privilege because a lot never fell on them. This is more evidence that God was providentially in control of the details. Notice those first three words, so it was. What a day, so it was. So it was that Zechariah, just dramatically, the lot fell on him. So it was that Zecharias was in this special place. Show, show this picture on the screen. This is the basically where the Holy of Holies was. If you see those steps at the bottom, that's where Zacharias will come out and attempt to give this blessing of Aaron. You go inside those doors, which only priests could go in, that first part is where Zacharias was on the right side. That's where you burn incense. Behind the veil is the Holy of Holies. High priest goes in there one time a year. And Zechariah, this is the, the once in a lifetime opportunity for Zechariah. He had to win by, by basically casting lots. So the Bible says, so it was on that day, that very day, that very day, so it was that Zechariah was in here, the once in a lifetime opportunity, and then God speaks to him. And then notice the next, the next uh, picture. The Bible says this that the people were outside the sanctuary praying. Now, if you'll notice this picture, you see where Zechariah is. The outer court there is the Gentiles. They couldn't go any further. Then you had the women's court on the inside. And then you had the Jewish men on the inside of that. And then Zechariah would come out onto that prot- protocol. And then he would basically say the, Abrahamic, uh, Aaron, the Aaron's blessing, if you will. I'm sorry, excuse me. So here, here Zechariah is on this day. He goes in and he has this tremendous opportunity. And then an angel appears to him and the angel starts talking to him. Notice what the angel says, which gives us this point to not stop praying. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. And you would be too. An angel just shows up out of nowhere. And, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard. I wonder how long Zechariah prayed for this. Not only is he and the people praying for the Messiah to come. Okay, that's what he's doing. That's what the people are doing. That's why they they burn the incense and they're praying, God, send the Messiah to deliver us, okay? Not only are they praying for that, but also what they're praying for is for themselves. God, we don't have a baby. We don't understand it. We have no idea what's going on. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, for your prayer is heard Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So I'd encourage you in your life, do not stop praying. Do not stop praying. God says in verse uh, 14 and 15, he makes this statement. He says, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great, notice verse 15 through 17. Notice what they say about John. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Those are tremendous uh, things to say about John. He says, your son is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to be great in his sight. Your kid's going to turn out good, he says. Your, your, your child will neither drink wine nor strong drink. He's going to have a strong character. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, which is amazing. In the Old Testament, the Bible says that when God used the great prophets of old, that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. It didn't necessarily say that the Holy Spirit filled those people. But John's going to be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit his whole life, even from his mother's womb. He's going to be obedient to God's Word. He's going to be self-controlled in a time when so many people were not self-controlled. In his food, in his dress, in his lifestyle, he's going to be temperate, and he's going to be moderate. The Bible goes on to say he's going to be a humble purpose. His purpose was to announce the king, not to act keenly or to take himself or any of the king's prerogatives for granted. He's speaking about Jesus. As a matter of fact, John is the first one when Jesus came on the scene to publicly say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Bible says in verse 17 that he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And basically what the angel is saying is is that your son is the one Malachi prophesied about that would come and prepare the way for the Messiah. So you have Zechariah in here. And you have his wife Elizabeth, probably what they were praying. And they may not have been praying about a child at their age, but they were praying for God to send the Messiah. They were praying for God to send this person who Malachi had prophesied about. God had not spoken to the children of Israel for 400 years. And Malachi, one of the last things that Malachi says is this, is that God will send someone in the spirit and power of Elijah. And here Zacharias is in the temple. Serving God this once-of-a-lifetime opportunity, okay? And he's praying for his wife, his wife's praying for him, and then they're praying for this thing that all the people on the outside are praying for. Then Zechariah says, it's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to you. Let me ask you a question. What are some things that you've prayed about that you've stopped praying about? What are some things that you've prayed about that you've stopped praying about? See, Zacharias and Elizabeth throughout their life prayed for a son, and probably what they prayed for was a son to point people to Jesus. And I would say this, that everything in your life, everything in your life at your workplace, your hobbies, what God would call you to do is to point people to Jesus. That's the mission of your life, is to point people to Jesus. Every Sunday school class that meets here at East Hills Baptist Church The main mission of your class is discipleship, of course, but it's also to point people to Jesus. You're kind of like a little church, if you will. And your goal is to reach people from this congregation and take them to a class and help them point people to Jesus. Every ministry in this church should revolve around pointing people to Jesus. Point people to Jesus. Basically what? Gabriel told this: your son is going to turn the hearts of the people to God. They're going to be converted. What an amazing thing that he says about his son. Everything we do should point people to Jesus. I keep one of these cards in my pocket just to remind me. I don't even have a name on this one. That's an old one card. Y'all remember that? When I would say, make it your goal this year to reach one person for Jesus. Just one. You got 365 days to reach one person. And about every one of my sports coats, and I, I don't have New newer sports coats because y'all know Steinmark closed down. So isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? 75 bucks for a sports coat. But anyway, all my sports coats, just about all of them have one of these in it. A lot of times I'll have a bulletin from a funeral. in this side, because I've preached so many funerals. And then I'll have a one card over here. And it just reminds me that my goal in life is to point people to Jesus. Friends, listen, if you're on my side of ministry and you go to some of the dark hospital rooms I go to, some of the places I go to, what a difference Jesus makes. What a difference Jesus makes. Your goal in life, you may never preach, you may never sing in the choir, teach Sunday school class, but you can point people to Jesus, amen? Can you imagine, Zecharias? my boy's gonna do that? My boy's gonna do that. What an amazing thing. But Zacharias was probably a Southern Baptist because the Bible says that he doubted. Notice what the verse says. Next verse, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this, for I'm an old man. I'm an old man. Hey, all you old men in here, I'm one of you. Why don't you just stop making excuses about why you can't serve Jesus. Amen. I'm an old man. Will you quit whining? Good grief, you ain't dead yet, are you? You're not dead, serve Jesus, I'm an old man. I'm an old man, I hear that so much here, I get so tired of it. I'm like, oh, you're an old man, you do everything else, don't you? You do everything else, you play golf, you do this, you do that, you go deer hunting. Serve Jesus, amen. All of God's people said, I don't wanna hear you say you're an old man. Don't don't talk to me about it. I'm 52, I'm an old man to a lot of y'all, okay? Look, I'm an old man, my wife is well advanced in years. You know, we got retirement. And the angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel. Don't take your excuses to God because he's just going to speak about who he is. I'm Gabriel. Now notice, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I win. And I've come to talk to you about your life. And this is what he says. He says, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. This is a good thing. I would say this to all, especially you men that are older. If God, through the Holy Spirit, speaks to your heart, that's a good thing. That's the best thing that can happen in your life. If God tells you, look at me, if God tells you at your age to be a deacon in this church, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. But you'll say, I'm old. I'm old. I thank God for old men. Some of the greatest wisdom I've gotten in this church is from men a lot older, me and women, by the way. So if God, the Holy Spirit... It's kinda like casting a lot. A deacon will come to you and say, Brother, we think you should serve. I'm old. Just check him off. All right. If you're gonna make those kind of kind of excuses and, and you could literally be used by God to do a God thing. I'm old. My wife's old. Can't hardly make it, preacher. Yeah, you can. I see it at Walmart. I see all that stuff you're mind. I'm just kidding. I'm old. And what, you know what Gabriel says, this is from God. I'm, I'm, look, I'm in the presence of God and I come to you and you're gonna give me an excuse about you being old. Really, really? Is that where we're at in life right now? I come from the presence of God and I come to you and you're gonna talk to me about your age, okay? And he says, but i tell you what I'll do for you. Is that right? This is, this is, he said this, will, this is gonna happen whether you like it or not, but he says this, you'll be mute, not able to speak, until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which would be fulfilled in their own time. Now verse 21 says this, And the people waited for Zecharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned them and remained speechless. So Zecharias goes out with his unbelief, and it's so embarrassing for him. He's supposed to read this. This is what he's supposed to read. The Bible says in Numbers, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, and you shall say this. And you know some other denominations do this almost every service, and it's not a bad thing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Once in a lifetime, he's going to go out here and say this to all these people that are praying. And they're waiting on him, and then they're all going to sing hymns, and they're going to pray, and they're going to leave. But Zechariah didn't believe. And what do you, he goes out and what does he do? Sign language. You got to learn sign language real quick. They says he's beckoning them. How embarrassing for Zechariah because of unbelief. You know, one of the greatest sins in your life, the greatest sin is unbelief. Gabriel says, I come from the throne of God, and you're going to give me your excuses. You don't believe me? You don't believe I can do this? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you. You're not going to speak. Now, I'll tell you this, men, especially you men that make excuses. You're going to go to your grave never doing anything for Jesus. That's what's going to happen. Because you're going to make excuse excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. After excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. If the Holy Spirit of God convicts your heart, the Holy Spirit of God comes from the throne room of God. Don't give him your excuses. God will bless your life. He'll bless your church's life. He'll bless your family's life. And you can literally see many people come to Jesus. Now verse 23, it says, So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed. Ladies, look at me. He had to go home. And I wonder what Zechariah is thinking as he's going home. We've got to consummate this vision. We gotta make this, put this plan into place. He probably walked home a little faster than he walked to the temple, I bet. You, you, you know what I'm talking about? And then the Bible says, yeah, that was a good day for him. And then the Bible says this in verse 24. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself five months saying, "Lord, thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. You know what Elizabeth said? This is what she's saying in a humble, Christ-like way. Can't nobody talk about me now. Can't nobody talk about me now. Look at that word reproach. This was a shame on her life, a black stain on her life. that She probably thought would never never go away, but she still served the Lord. And she said, because of this, because of this and the way this happened, to honor God, I'm just going to stay hid out for five months. What an amazing thing. I'm going to ask our musicians to come, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me in just the quietness of this moment. And i got four challenges for you during this invitation time. And only God knows where you're at in your life, spiritually speaking. But as our musicians come, I'm going to challenge you to do this. And I don't know where, there again, you are in your life, but I'm going to encourage you to give your brokenness and your barrenness to the Lord this morning. Give your brokenness, whatever that is, if you have it, or your barrenness to the Lord. I would also encourage you to do this, to give your doubts to the Lord and say this, Lord, I will trust you. Lord, I will trust you. Give your time to the Lord by saying this, Lord, I will serve you. And then we all should make this a goal of our life. Say, God, I will point people to Jesus this year, and the year to come. Father, I will point people to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for your word. Father, we all can be like, in a sense, like Zechariah. When you come to us, Lord, to have excuses and to have unbelief. Father, you know the the steps that we take. Father, your purpose and plan for our lives is better than our own. Lord, they come from the throne room. And Father, I pray that we would set our excuses to the side. And Father, today say, yes, Jesus. Either I accept you as my Lord and Savior, or I accept your plan for my life. Father, help us not to resist or quench the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that we would be a church that would be known for pointing people to Jesus. Father, I pray that every ministry that takes place here, on this campus would point people to Jesus. Every Sunday school class. Lord, all our discipleship classes, that we would point a lost and dying world to Jesus. Jesus, what a difference you make in our life and then when it comes time to die. Lord, help our unbelief at times, Father, and forgive us. Forgive us for the excuses that we make. Father, help us to live a strong, courageous, bold life in you. And I ask these things in Christ's name. As Sharon leads us in this song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus was a real person, lived a real life, died a real death. He died in your place. And he rose from the dead so that you can be born again. I want to point you to Jesus this morning. I'm going to encourage you to place your faith and trust in Jesus. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I was 20 years old, not in church, when the Lord saved me. And I'm so thankful that on that night I responded to the Holy Spirit's drawing in my life. If that's you, I would encourage you to do that. You can talk to myself or any of our staff after the service today. We'd love to help you with your decision. If you're here today and God's calling you to serve, I want to encourage you to say yes. I wouldn't let another day go by living in disobedience when it comes to serving Jesus. Your life will be blessed. This church will be blessed. Your family and community will be blessed. And then if you have doubts, it's okay. Many people in the Bible had them. But every person that had doubts in the Bible, God helped them in their doubts. And if you're here this morning, just be honest with the Lord. Fathers, we come to you in prayer once again. Lord, we want to thank you for your grace and for your mercy in our lives. Father, thank you that you know all about us and you love us. Lord, for those in here that are broken and barren, if you will, I pray that you'd give them victory in their lives. Father, for those who have doubts, Lord, we all do at times. Lord, I pray that you would um, strengthen their faith. And then, Father, help us as men and women of God never to make excuses, Lord, when you deal with our lives. Because you have our best interests in mind. And we'll thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people sit together. God bless you. Just want to remind you that there are no services tonight. Please pray for the Dunn family as they meet with the funeral home today. God bless you and you're dismissed.